We have two scripture readings for our sermon this evening. The first will be from John chapter 1. Uh, I made a change to what I sent to Scott, but that's what we're going to read. John 1, and we will read verses 1 to 18, and then we will also read Matthew 28. But we'll start with John. So, John 1, I will read verses 1 to 18. Hear now God's word. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him. Yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of man, of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. John bore witness about him and cried out, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me ranks before me because he was before me. For from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, the only God, who is at the Father's side. He has made him known. And now, Matthew 28. And we will read the last five verses there, 16 through 20. Matthew 28. 16 to the end. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them, and when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore, And make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Let's pray. 
Lord, we thank you that you have given to us this, your word, that we might hear from you and be enlivened to faith and new obedience by your word. Your word breathed life and creation, and you breathe new life in and through it even now, we believe. And so, Lord, have mercy on us that the word, that your word here tonight would bear much fruit for your sake. We trust that that will be for our good too. We pray this in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Well, it's good to see you all again. Uh, I don't come out here often, but I recognize some of you. Uh, This evening, we are going to focus on one small portion from our Matthew 28 text. I will bring in some other portions, but we're going to focus on this last line, this last portion of chapter 28, verse 20. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. During the season of Advent and Christmas tide, our family celebrates 12 days of Christmas, we celebrate Christ's coming, Emmanuel, God with us. We celebrate God's coming to dwell with us in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ, and it is a right and good thing for us to celebrate that, for this is a thing worthy of praise. And we live on this side of Christ's coming after his death, his resurrection and ascension. It's been roughly 2,000 years since Christ's departure to dwell at the right hand of the Father, which begs the question, is God still with us? And this is a pertinent question, an important question for us to know Scripture's answer to. And I don't know about you, but when I look around at the world that we live in, or sometimes when I look at my own life, I can understand how some people would think, would wonder if God is actually here. Some people even might say God is dead. Is God with us? The resounding answer that the Lord Jesus Christ himself offers clearly here in Matthew 28, 20 is yes, I am. Now, this passage in Matthew 28 is a famous passage known as the Great Commission. There's a lot that we could say about this text, and there's a lot that should be said, but we don't have enough time to exhaust the whole of this passage here. Here tonight, we're going to focus on Christ's last words in the gospel. So let's attend to this. Behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. We're going to break this down into a couple of parts. First part, behold. Second part, I am with you always. And third part, to the end of the age. Behold. How many of you uh, grew up listening to or hearing the King James Version? In the King James Version, it's, uh, lo, I am with you always. The Greek word here is rightly interpreted, look, see, behold. I have been using the Christian Standard Bible. It translates the word as remember. It is a word commanding us to attend to what is about to be communicated. Not a new rhetorical device. It's used throughout the New Testament and the Old Testament quite often. And Jesus is saying here, pay attention, disciples. This is important. Second part. 
I am with you always. Let's behold this. Let's attend to this. I am with you always. Who? The disciples. Those who have trusted him, followed him. Those who have been given faith from the Father, we would do well to note from John 6. His beloved who follow him by faith. I am with you, disciples, always. And always can be rightly interpreted all the days, every day, all of every day. The Lord Jesus Christ says here, and I know it's obvious, but this is important, that he is with his beloved disciples, his followers, always. The Gospel of Matthew ends with an announcement of Emmanuel, and it ends with Emmanuel again. So let's linger here a moment. Jesus says, Behold, I am with you always. Does that blow your mind, or have you heard it too often? It ought to. God in the flesh, is saying here, after commissioning his disciples to go out into the world as his ambassadors, to make disciples, to baptize people into Christ-following faith and to teach them his way, I, pure God of very God, am with you, my beloved followers, always, I'm not going to leave you. I will be by your side all day, every day. That's no small promise. Let's think contextually a little bit about what's going on here. Let's think contextually a little bit about Christ's coming in the first place. And so I'm going to share a little bit of the gospel story, the story of Scripture, to give us some reference. For scripture is, after all, first and foremost, a story, the story of God's redemptive work in Christ. God was with his beloved in the beginning, and the beginning was the word Jesus, and the word Jesus was with God, and the word Jesus was God. And the Spirit of God hovered over the chaos, the emptiness. And the true triune God, Yahweh, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, created God's space and man's space, and they were beautifully connected. All things were made through the word, that is Jesus, and without him was nothing made that was made. God walked and talked with us. We lived in a glorious harmony Man created to dwell with God, God being with us. In Adam, we were with God, walking, talking, working together with us. But in Adam, we sinned, and with sin came very real consequences. Adam and Eve, where are you? Hiding, because... We're naked. Who told you you were naked? Did you eat the fruit? 
What is this you have done? And so sin entered into the world. And with it, a great chasm. You see, God had to separate himself from us. He was holy. He is holy. And while we were all of the sudden not holy, Adam and Eve, you will have to bear the consequences of your sin, your rebellion, where once we walked and talked with God, after sin, things changed. But God never took his eyes off of his beloved image bearers. He needed to distance himself, yes, but he never abandoned his beloved image bearers. He was still with them in his heart, still moving over the chaos, still for his people. In fact, he promised to redeem his beloved from the very moment of the fall in Genesis 3.15, saying to the serpent, you will strike my offspring's heel, but he, a son of Eve, will crush your head. And God indeed has been with his people amidst the great chasm caused by our sin, with his beloved, always there for those who trust him, revere him, seek him, always working his redemptive plan. God was with Noah, with Abraham, with Isaac, with Jacob, though Jacob was rather foolish, with Moses and with Israel, and a pillar of cloud and pillar of fire with Israel for a season, and then with Israel in his tabernacle, dwelling in the holy of places, this place, this thin space where God's space and human and man's space connected yet again with Joshua and with his people throughout dark days of disobedience during the period of the judges, with David, with his people Israel in his temple and the special presence there, with his prophets, always with his people, speaking, calling, inviting, revealing, acting, making, provided, intimately interested in his people because of his never stopping, never giving up, unbreaking, always and forever love. Throughout history, God has been for his people, with his people, despite their sin, patiently working towards that glorious day where he would bridge the chasm once and for all. And he came like he promised he would. Make straight the way, make straight the way of the Lord, cried out John the Baptist. And the Apostle John speaks of the Lord Jesus Christ's coming this way in John 1, we read. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth, and from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. Moses spoke about the day where he saw God face to face as the most glorious day of his life. 
Brothers and sisters, when Christ came, he changed everything. And the person and work of the Lord Jesus Christ, God was with us again. Emmanuel, God with us. Jesus' coming was both an end and a beginning. An end of the chasm that sin had created for his people. He would deal with sin once and for all through the cross. And a glorious beginning of walking and talking with God. An intimate relationship yet again. The author of Hebrews says it this way, talking about what Christ has bridged. Hebrews ten nineteen to 22. Brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart to God and full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water, Christ has made a way for forgiveness of sins that we might draw near to God again. According to Scripture, it is now possible to dwell with God, to walk with God through Christ. All authority on heaven and on earth has been given to him, and he says that he will be with us his beloved who trust in him always. He, God, dwells with us yet again, having forgiven sins and dealt with them once and for all. And this brings us to our third and final portion of this promise given by Jesus. Behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Let's reflect a moment. Jesus is saying here, he will be with his people, through thick and thin, even to the end of the age, to death and through death. Yes, resurrection is reality in Christ Jesus. Death is not the end for those united to Christ by faith. We know this from 1 Corinthians 15, from John 11, amongst other New Testament passages. Christ's kingdom now reigns and will come in all of its glory and he will be alongside his beloved all the way to it. Do you believe that? Do you believe that Christ will usher you to your end and through it? Do you really believe the words of Jesus here? Maybe you're wrestling with the idea of faith. (laughs) Maybe you're wrestling with faith altogether and you think that sounds actually unbelievable that death is not bigger than Jesus and that he could be with me. If you struggle with this, please know that you are not alone. There are real reasons to find this teaching difficult first reason that comes to my mind is that death is actually a really intimidating thing. 
It is the final frontier, foreign to all who have yet to pass through it. How many of you have died? I heard a preacher once say that perhaps the only person immune to the fear of death would be Lazarus. How do you scare Lazarus anymore? The last enemy which each and every human must encounter, the final, seemingly insurmountable, final boss. The idea of a power greater than death, of resurrection life, is actually a wild thought. And there is one who has passed through death and overcome it. And he has power over it and promises to usher those who place their faith and hope in him through it. His name is the Lord Jesus Christ. Yes, that is wild. It is true nonetheless. A second reason that this teaching is hard, that Jesus will be with us to the end, is because when we look inward and get honest with ourselves and see our own sin, it might be really easy to think. It is too easy to think. Could Jesus really forgive me? I mean, I know there are some things that he could forgive. But surely I might even exhaust his mercy. I don't know if you've ever felt like that. Surely there are some things that are just too dark, too ugly. Or maybe, well, he's forgiven me so much, if I sin again, it's not possible. We might be tempted to perceive Jesus as a type of fair-weather friend with us until things get really gross and ugly. Our sin can make us doubt Jesus' faithfulness to forgive and stay with us. But God's word says in Romans 5, verses 8 to 9, God proves his own love for us in that while we were still sinners... Christ died for us. And then, hear this. This is actually really incredible. How much more then, since we have now been declared righteous by his blood, will, be, will we be saved through him from the wrath that is to come? And in Romans 8.38, Paul says, I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Romans 8 makes it very clear that Christ offers us forgiveness, not condemnation. Forgiveness for those who have trusted in him and his mercies. A third reason why this teaching is hard to believe that Jesus could always be with us, even to the end of the age, is if we look outward. When you look outward and you look at the world around us, I don't know what you see, but I see sin and misery and death, folly instead of wisdom, self-righteousness and pride and hatred of God. Greed and gluttony and lust seem to rule our day so much of the time. If you don't see this, you aren't paying attention. When we look outward, we will be tempted to doubt the reality of Christ's rule and reign. 
Why so much sin? Why so much misery? Why so much death? Why so much selfishness and suffering and sorrow? Is God really alive and active? Is God really with us? When we look outward, we find ourselves tempted to despair whether God is or ever has been alive and active in our world. When we look inward, we're going to be tempted to fear, will Jesus remain with me? And when we consider the last enemy, that is death, we face a consuming power beyond our capacity to survive and wonder and ask, will he really be with us then? Friends, Brothers and sisters, there's good news. Jesus says he is with his beloved all the days. On good days, amen. Days of darkness too, even to the end, he promises he will be with his people. Beloved, Jesus rose from the dead and is alive. And he ascended into heaven where he sits now at the right hand of God, ruling and reigning, interceding for his beloved. And, Doug, you stole my thunder in your prayers and stuff. Scripture teaches us something else that adds to the glory of Christ, a truth very much connected to his words here in Matthew 28. God dwells with his people now by the power of his Holy Spirit. Jesus actually said, it is to your advantage that I return to the Father so that I can send my spirit to you. John 16, 7. And Paul, along with the other New Testament writers, communicate very clearly that the Holy Spirit of God dwells in the hearts of those who love him. God dwells with his beloved intimately. God with us. And he is with us still by the power of his Holy Spirit. Yes, brothers and sisters, friends, the spirit of the risen Christ is now, as he always has been, moving mightily over the chaos, breathing new life, speaking, calling, revealing, acting, making, providing. The one true God is with us, those who have placed our faith and hope in Christ by the power of his Holy Spirit. Do you believe it? Do you really believe it? Do you attend to this glorious promise, this wonderful truth? The enemy is going to lie to you and sling everything he can to try to tell you it's not so. The devil knows how to deceive us, he's very crafty. And the world confuses us. And our sin within haunts us. Do you fear that there is a limit to the love of God in Christ Jesus? Do you fear that there is a limit to Christ's capacity to forgive you of your sins and deliver you from them? Do you fear that there is a limit to Christ's capacity to deliver you from a crooked and perverse generation? Do you fear that there is a limit to Christ's capacity to deliver you even from death itself? 
I don't know your story. I don't know what sins you have committed. I don't know what you have suffered, and I don't know what you are going through now, but the word, the living word of God, the Lord Jesus Christ himself, declared to his disciples and speaks to his beloved, to you who believe in the love of God in Christ, behold, I am with you always, to the end of the age. Let's pray. Lord, we come to you here and we do ask that your spirit would enliven us to faith and new obedience, that we would live the rest of our lives resting in your presence and your faithfulness and your love for us in Christ. (sighs) Peter said that uh, the prophets of old looked forward to the day (laughs) where we would have your spirit guiding us in all spirit and truth. We thank you that you are alive and at work in our midst. And we ask that you would discipline us and disciple us and teach us and convict us and lead us to walking in repentance and new life. That we might laugh and skip all the way home with you. Lord, you know the challenges that we face in this. You know where we're stubborn and where we're tempted to believe lies. We thank you that you are bigger than all of that and we thank you, Lord, for the chance to worship you. We thank you that you are alive and active in and through wonderful means of grace that are available to us here even this evening. Lord, as we look to a new year, to new days, we thank you that you are with us always as we place our faith and hope in you. We love you, Lord. We thank you for your great love for us in Christ. Amen.